It is moving week in fantasy football. Oh, yes. It is time to talk trade in fantasy football. And specifically, who do you need to target and trade? Because you know who to sell. Like, you get it. Like, James Robinson is clearly a sell-high candidate. And injured players like Julio Jones and Chris Godwin, they are sell lows. Just eat the sunk cost and get what you can. For different reasons. Chris Godwin's about to miss multiple weeks, and Julio Jones has been usurped by Calvin Ridley. And Julio Jones is well into his age 31 season with a history of lower body injuries. Now the turf monster has come up and grabbed his hamstring, and his team will likely be the first to fire its head coach. So the team is moving in the wrong direction, and that goes for the wide receiver, that goes for the quarterback, that goes for the running back, Matt Ryan, Todd Gurley, Julio Jones, Hayden Hurst, players at every position, sell, 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 sell. So who are you buying? Who are you buying? Well, this is where we check the schedule. And the draft kit is still active. And on the draft kit, we have the team previews with the schedules. I just go back to the draft kit and check the schedule. Houston Texans suffered a brutal schedule through three weeks. But this week, they get the Vikings. And then the next week, it's the Jaguars. And then the Titans. And then the Packers. And then the Jaguars again. And this is Deshaun Watson. This is... David Johnson, this is Will Fuller. They face the Bengals in Week 16. Super Bowl week. The most important week on the schedule, they face the Bengals. And on the flip side, the Bengals face the Texans. That's right. So when compiling your shopping list to go talk trade post-Week 3, the teams to focus on acquiring players from are the Houston Texans, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Because there's now a consolidated opportunity share in Los Angeles. They are playing at a breakneck pace. Justin Herbert, go to playerprofiler.com. He's averaging 320 pass yards a game. A game. 325 passing yards per game. And he already has nine deep balls in less than two full games played. Think of, Just think, think about that. Just let that sink in. This week he faces the Tampa Bay defense, which has improved across the board. But they're especially stout against the run, which means that Justin Herbert will have to throw. Keenan Allen is a buy high coming off a wide receiver one week in week three. You're buying high on Keenan Allen. You're paying a premium for Keenan Allen. You're buying Austin Eckler. You're buying Joshua Kelly. Austin Eckler is a buy high. Joshua Kelly is a buy low coming off a disappointing week three. Everything was down across the board, not just the fantasy points, the opportunity share, the efficiency. It was all down. But the player I'm most focused on on this Chargers offense to acquire and trade is Hunter Henry. He's running routes in almost every play, 88.4% route participation rate. He's top five among NFL tight ends in routes run, in targets, and target share. And he's number three in air yards. And no tight end in the NFL has more deep targets already than Hunter Henry. But the fantasy points, 12.2 per game outside the top 10. Now is the time to strike on Hunter Henry. And on the Bengals, you're buying high on Joe Burrow. And you're buying low on Joe Mixon and A.J. Green. The reason why the Texans and the Bengals offenses are the best to target is because you get the most buy low options possible. Now, Joe Burrow is breaking out all over the place, but I don't think his ceiling is fully appreciated by fantasy gamers yet. So I'm still aggressively targeting him. Of course, you want him in Dynasty. It's not like you can go get Joe Burrow in a 2QB Superflex Dynasty League. But in other formats, even seasonal 2QB and Superflex Leagues, he is available. He's number two in the league in pass attempts. 
He's number two in the league in pass attempts and number two in the league in total pass distance, passing air yards. And he's top five in total carries. So he's prolific with his arm and he's a tactical scrambler taking advantage of defenses that sag off his receivers and making them pay by running for first downs. Oh, love Joe Burrow. But I like Joe Mixon and A.J. Green even better because they haven't performed yet. 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 This week, they face Jacksonville. A top 12 defense in fantasy points allowed to opposing running backs. Joe Mixon is number six in the league in opportunity share. Like, oh, he's not getting the touches. What do you mean he's not getting the touches? His opportunity share is close to 80%. What more do you want? I want better run blocking. Okay, that's fair. The run blocking has been bad. 35.3 run blocking efficiency grade on playerprofiler.com. That's outside the top 50. I get it. They're not blocking well for Joe Mixon. And he hasn't been efficient except in that juke rate department. 30.5% juke rate was top 20 with 18 total evaded tackles after he led the league in evaded tackles last year. He is creating yards on his own. He's top 20 in juke rate and yards created per touch. And Giovanni Bernard only had three touches in five quarters in week three. As soon as the Bengals can have the opportunity to sit on a lead, it's going to be the Joe Mixon show, and I think it can happen this week. When engaging in trade talks and finding the players to target, you want to make sure that you can accrue value immediately in trade, and getting Joe Mixon now before he faces the Jaguars is critical. And that's in seasonal leagues. But fortunately, we also have Underdog Fantasy with their one-week fantasy games. And where you can get Joe Mixon when you're drafting every week, it keeps getting later and later and later. The Joe Mixon ADP keeps getting pushed back on Underdog Fantasy. I love seeing this. This is my favorite week of the year to play single-week fantasy teams on Underdog Fantasy. And the beauty is you get to draft a snake draft. So it feels like a real fantasy team. Not salary cap DFS where everyone's playing the same players. Underdog is different. And their app is super slick. It's by far the best experience out there. And you can snake draft every week for real money. So just look up Underdog Fantasy in the App Store or go to underdogfantasy.com to play today. Deposit and start drafting immediately and use that promo code UNDERWORLD when you do. Now is the time to get Joe Mixon across formats. Now is the time to get A.J. Green across formats. Because the projections keep coming down. And A.J. Green is number one in the NFL in unrealized air yards. Number one. He is number two overall in total air yards, 386 yards of total target distance, and yet only 116 of actual realized receiving yards. He's getting targeted frequently, and he's getting targeted deep. Seven deep shots already on 28 targets, which is number seven in the NFL. It's going to happen for him. And why wouldn't it happen against C.J. Henderson, a rookie cornerback for the Jaguars? Why, why not? Why not this week? Stack up your Bengals on underdog. And you can also invest in A.J. Green now when his projection for week four is at a low point on Prediction Strike. PredictionStrike.com. Use that promo code UNDERWORLD again on Prediction Strike and you get 10 free investment bucks. Every week, go to Prediction Strike and just play the guy with the most unrealized air yards. It'll probably pay off. I mean, I know they played an extra quarter of overtime last week, but the Bengals are throwing the ball. I mean, thank you, Zach Taylor, for making this possible. Zach Taylor, my friend Zach Taylor, 51.7 pass plays per game. And they're running two and a half plays per minute. Thank you, Zach Taylor. Thank you. 
Thank you. And thank you, A.J. Green, for playing at a high level and just getting unlucky. The target quality rating, 5.6, outside the top 50, and his catchable target rate outside the top 75. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. I trust Joe Burrow that it's going to get better. It's going to get better for Will Fuller, too, because Will Fuller played a full complement of snaps, ran 32 routes against Pittsburgh, but it was Pittsburgh. It was Steven Nelson, one of the most underrated cornerbacks in the league. Only 60 air yards compared to 152 air yards in week one against Kansas City. Now that we've seen what Kansas City can do, what Kansas City did to Marquise Brown in week three, that week one performance by Will Fuller is all the more impressive. So to face Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh in succession, it only gets better for the Houston Texans. Check the schedule. This week, Minnesota, then Jacksonville, then Tennessee, then Green Bay, then Jacksonville again. David Johnson, bye. Will Fuller, bye. Deshaun Watson, bye. Even Brandon Cooks, bye. David Johnson is number three in the NFL in opportunity share. It's even higher than Joe Mixon, number three in the NFL in opportunity share, and he's top 20 in running back targets, number one in route participation rate. On pass plays, David Johnson is running a route on an astounding 96% of dropbacks, and he's been elusive. His 23.8% juke rate is not a Joe Mixon-level tackle-breaking in elusiveness, but... It's top 25, and his 5.7% breakaway run rate is top 20. So he's evading tackles, and he's breaking away in spite of the most brutal schedule for any running back this year. Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, two on the road. Now he gets two home games against the Vikings and the Jaguars. Go to predictionstrike.com, promo code UNDERWORLD, and invest in David Johnson now. He and Joe Mixon are soon to be two more Robust RB success stories. That's right. And I have one more team that's about to enjoy a soft schedule that you need to be buying. The Cleveland Browns. That's right. They went on the road to Baltimore. Then they faced the Bengals. And then they faced the Washington front seven. But now they get the Cowboys and then the Colts. And then Bengals Raiders before their bye week. And then when they come back from their bye week, oh, just, you know, the Houston Texans, the Eagles, and the Jaguars. I mean, yeah! This is good news for Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a buy low, especially in 2QB and Superflex leagues. Now is the time. You better get Baker Mayfield now, especially in Dynasty. His lifetime value in Dynasty this week may be at a 10-year low. Like For the next 10 years, you may not be able to get Baker Mayfield for as inexpensively as he is available now in trade. Go do it. He's throwing the ball deep. He already has nine deep ball attempts, but the yards aren't there, and the protection rate's not been there. They're not protecting him. I get it. They're not protecting him. 77.9% protection rate, number 29 in the league. But when he is throwing the ball deep, he's throwing it accurately at 44.4% deep ball completion percentage. The guy has a top 10 total QBR. Did you know that? Did you know that? And his receivers are getting separation. I mean, that's what Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. do. And Odell Beckham Jr. is absolutely a buy low based on the schedule and Baker Mayfield playing better than the public perceives. And I know you need one more running back to trade for. What about Kareem Hunt? Kareem Hunt is top 20 in weighted opportunities, and he already has 13 red zone touches. Oh, he's the satellite back. He's the 1B. He's not the 1A, he's the 1B. Yeah, but the Browns are running the ball 33 times per game, even though they're facing negative game scripts. So the game scripts are negative, and yet they're still running the ball at a top five pace. 
It's only going to get better for Kareem Hunt, especially if the Browns find themselves in shootouts in the weeks ahead. His 14% target share is top 10 among running backs. Why? Because there's no one else there. You know who the third receiver is this week for Cleveland? Can you guess? Anybody? Kadrell Hodge. Kadrell Hodge. That's why Kareem Hunt is a buy. The schedule and Kadrell Hodge. That's the reason, and that's all you need to know. And Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper is a buy low. You have fantasy teams considering dropping Austin Hooper, who was a top three tight end last season in fantasy football. 14.6 fantasy points per game last year. And he's still got a top 15 route participation rate this year. And thus far, all of his targets have been catchable. So Austin Hooper is running routes in the middle of the field where Baker Mayfield thrives. And he has a 16.7% red zone target share, which just makes sense that he's the biggest option they have by far and away in the red zone, that that's where Baker Mayfield would train his eyes. So we have a buy low on Austin Hooper, buy low on Hunter Henry at tight end. These guys are 25, 26 years old, operating in their super prime. Now is the time to strike on Henry, on Hooper. And Patrick Murphy called the Austin Hooper breakout last season on this show. Remember Patrick Murphy? He's the fantasy football king. You may be one and two in a high-stakes league or in a league where, where your reputation is at stake among friends, among colleagues. Go to FantasyFootballKing.com and he can consult all of your moves moving forward to help you make the playoffs. He helps me with my Scott Fishbowl team. I should be 0-3 because of Patrick Murphy on 1-2, and and I trust that he'll help me make the playoffs. I, I trust him. I just I trust Patrick Murphy implicitly. FantasyFootballKing.com. Go there and make your fantasy team better and help lock in a playoff appearance this year. If you're with Patrick Murphy for multiple seasons, you're used to going to the playoffs. And today, we'll be talking to Matt Gajewski. Matt Gajewski is the co-host of the Big Tilt Pod on this network. He knows DFS. He knows college football. He just knows a lot of stuff. So let's go talk to Matt. Follow him at Matt underscore G-A-J-E-W-S-K-I on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, a rookie. He's a rookie to this particular show on Roto Underworld Radio, but he is now a veteran on the overall Roto Underworld Radio channel, the co-host of The Big Tilt with Kyle Dvorak, and he is a serious college football analyst as well. Check him out on YouTube. Matthew Gajewski, welcome to the show. Matt, thanks for having me. It's a it's a pleasure to be here for my maiden voyage. The maiden voyage, yes. I did everything in my power to not say maiden voyage that time. So I had to do it, just of course. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing that. In the next few weeks, we will see players coming off short-term IR. I'm excited for a couple, especially Debo Samuel. Anyone else that you're excited to see come off short-term IR, someone that's out there that maybe some fantasy gamers have forgotten is going to be airdropped back into the league? For sure. I mean, we have really strange injured reserve rules this year. Only three weeks, and then players can come back. I think one person that people should be monitoring is is Jalen Rieger. We don't have an exact timetable on him. I've heard some, some rumors maybe week seven he'll come back. It's that thumb injury. I think we know what's going on with Philly. Deshaun Jackson has a hamstring injury again. They're playing superstar from the AAF, Greg Ward, as their number one receiver. As far as Jalen Rager's opportunity when he comes back, of course, they'll have Alshon Jeffrey as well. But we're talking about a rookie who was already starting to see an uptick 
in snaps, targets, and overall usage. So he's a guy I like long-term for the Philadelphia Eagles team coming off short-term injured reserve. Now, I think there's a real case to buy low on a handful of good players on teams that are improving. I'm thinking Joe Mixon. I'm thinking David Montgomery, especially with Tariq Cohen going on injured reserve with a torn ACL. DJ Moore, Carolina Panthers just won in week three. Mike Evans, as we see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are rolling and Chris Godwin is going to miss multiple weeks. Do you disagree with any of those four buy candidates? If I'm going out and I'm trying to trade for players, those would probably be my top four players to acquire. For sure, Joe Mixon. I mean, he's already averaging 19.7 touches per game. The Cincinnati team, for whatever they lack in efficiency, they're certainly making it up with overall play volume. And Mixon's a guy, I mean, seeing two, three, and four targets, that's not ideal, ceding that much work to Giovanni Bernard, but he's still seeing some work in the past game, enough to at least get him near 20 touches per game. So I love him for a team that seems to be ascending. For David Montgomery, I'd like to see him play, you know, a, a good team first. The Bears have already played the Lions, the Giants, and the Falcons. Think what you will of the Falcons with their fourth quarter implosions and certainly the wide receivers dj Moore. i mean coming into week three he had a 30 percent target share i thought his targets would actually rise without mccaffrey he just i think put up a dud with that four target game but i certainly agree with those those players yeah mixon faced the chargers to start on the road so he faced joey bosa and the chargers to start then miles garrett and the browns and then last week the eagles with one of the most ferocious front sevens in the league the sacked joe burrow Sacked Joe Burrow eight times. So it has been a difficult schedule. And then he has to face the Baltimore Ravens twice this year and the Pittsburgh Steelers twice this year. It's a difficult schedule overall for Joe Mixon, but he has been getting all the carries. Giovanni Bernard, zero carries last week and only three touches in five quarters for Giovanni Bernard. So he's very much a one-dimensional satellite back. I think of Giovanni Bernard, you know, similar to how I think of Jalen Richard in Las Vegas. He's not the factor that I keep hearing he is on Twitter. Joe Mixon is dominating the opportunity share, and there will be softer opponents on the schedule, and there will be scenarios where the Bengals are winning and that they use him more in all phases. It's just bad luck, man. It's bad luck that he hasn't been used more and that he hasn't been more productive He's been super elusive, top 10 in juke rate on playerprofiler.com. He is especially making the first defender miss and working hard to get the few yards he's getting, but things will eventually start to break his way, so you need to get Joe Mixon now. The problem is he was drafted in the first round, so most fantasy gamers aren't yet ready to sell low on a Joe Mixon and... And then next week, he gets the Jaguars. You need to get Mixon before he faces the Jaguars. So now is the time to get him. So you got to go get him now before he faces the Jaguars. And you might have to overpay, and that's fine. I'm willing to overpay for Joe Mixon. He's a screaming buy right now in fantasy football. And if you're trying to trade for Joe Mixon, you could ideally send a running back in the other direction. When you're trading for Joe Mixon, you may want to trade away a Todd Gurley, trade away a Melvin Gordon and at wide receiver you could trade Julio Jones you could trade Evan Ingram at tight end because these are franchises that are heading in the wrong direction 
and you could see Atlanta, you could see the Giants, you could see the Broncos eventually switching over into tank mode. So I am trying to trade away. I'm trying to sell these players on bad teams before things get worse. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. One player I think I might lump in there is, it it pains me to say this, but maybe a, a Terry McLaurin. Washington, I don't know if anyone expected them to really compete this year, but Dwayne Haskins has not been the answer to this point. He's not even completing 60% of his passes. He's really just brought down the offense overall, and his 6.2 yards per attempt is 30th in the NFL. Unless they move to a different quarterback, which is a possibility for Washington, I mean, maybe they go to Kyle Allen. I think we know what he is at this point, but maybe Alex Smith has something left in the tank. I'm not sure. I think Terry McLaurin could fit that bill, too. I think Antonio Gibson is a sell coming off a touchdown on 50 yards rushing, plus he had three targets. So he posted it coming off an so coming off an RB2 week would be the time to trade away Antonio Gibson. So with so with Antonio Gibson it's more of a sell high with a guy like Todd Gurley, a guy like Melvin Gordon it's more of a sell low, but these are the assets that you can package together with an Evan Ingram, potentially with a tight end like an Evan Ingram or even a Zach Ertz as you mentioned on teams that are heading in the wrong direction to go and get a Joe Mixon, to go and get a DJ Moore, to go and get a Mike Evans. For sure. Mike Evans, just in that Tampa Bay offense, I didn't think we were going to see Brady attempting passes downfield at the rate he is currently throwing downfield, fifth highest rate in the NFL. That certainly benefits a receiver like Mike Evans. And I'm not sure people have quite caught on to that at this point. I think going back to last year, people view Brady as a player who largely runs through a slot receiver, Julian Edelman, Chris Godwin. But if he's going to throw downfield in that Bruce Arians offense, I think he's a fantastic buy-low target right now. It's just heartbreaking that Mike Evans had those two one-yard touchdowns. I can't believe it. Two catches for two yards and two touchdowns. If it just get the touchdowns, if you just had two catches for two yards, it would have been the perfect time to buy. But now it's like, oh, oh, well, you know, he had 14 fantasy points. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I don't know if everyone will realize that, you know, the opportunity is not quite what it should be going forward, but the touchdowns kind of bail out the fantasy owners that are just box score hunting. It's a bummer. I don't know. Maybe you get someone who's a little savvy and they're worried about the opportunity. With a guy like Mike Evans, you're going to have to pay full freight. With a guy like, you know, with a guy like Mike Evans, you're going to have to pay full freight. With a guy like a DJ Moore, a guy like a Joe Mixon, a guy like a David Montgomery, you can pay less. You still, you know, a guy like Joe Mixon, a guy like DJ Moore. I think the Joe Mixons and the DJ Moores are where you can get a discount. Not so much on the Mike Evans, not so much on the David Montgomerys, because most fantasy gamers they can see. Okay, David Montgomery is going to get all the touches now in that backfield. Oh, Mike Evans is now going to be the clear number one in Tampa, and Mike Evans might help to bail out some zero RB teams that drafted him in the third round. How are zero RB teams doing thus far this season, Matt? Man, I don't think they're doing very well. The players we lost outside of you know Christian McCaffrey from Mike Davis, I don't think we're even really receiving clear handcuffs in the case of Saquon Barkley. We have Devontae Freeman and Deion Lewis kind of splitting work there. I don't think people really anticipated Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Wilson to both receive that kind of work. 
at this point, the players you drafted in the mid-rounds as far as running backs, most of them are largely healthy outside of whatever is going to happen to Chris Carson this week. It was absolute worst-case scenario where in week three, week three, no Michael Thomas, no Devontae Adams, no Julio Jones. I mean, that was the nightmare scenario for zero RB teams. And in that same week, we had all these early round running backs putting up monster games on either the receiving side of the ledger, like an Alvin Kamara, or with the power backs like Chubb and Cook and Derrick Henry going over 100 yards, sometimes multiple touchdowns. It was a good week. It was a good week for Robust RB, and I believe it will continue. Alvin Kamara, is he the clear RB1 in fantasy right now? I think there's a really strong case to be made for Alvin Kamara's clear RB1. Even with Michael Thomas in the offense, if we look to prior seasons, 81 targets in each of those years. Now, if we look to what happened last week, just what did New Orleans do with their backfield? I thought they were going to use a lot of Latavius Murray. And, you know, they did to an extent, but Alvin Kamara played on 81.5% of the run snaps for New Orleans. Wow, that's high for him. Really high for him. It only amounted to, you know, 13 attempts on the ground. But that usage is what we're looking for. And I know Green Bay had a lead in that game. They weren't going to be pounding the ball 30 times anyway. But that's a really high usage rate just on pure run plays alone for Alvin Kamara. Does Justin Herbert make Austin Eckler a top five fantasy running back? Man, I I don't know what you thought about Justin Herbert coming into the NFL. I thought he was questionable. Now, versus Tyrod Taylor, I think there's a strong case that Justin Herbert is just overall going to improve this entire offense. He's targeted the running back position over 20% of the time in two games he's been out there. Woo! We've seen a pass for over 300 yards twice now. I'm not I'm not sure that continues, but the Chargers are quietly running one of the fastest offenses in the NFL. Now, I was I was expecting them to play slow, defensive, sound football, but they've lost a couple guys on defense. They just had to put a couple of their defensive backs on injured reserve. I think teams are going to be in more shootouts with this team. I think they'll continue playing fast. Right now, they're third in plays per game. They're throwing... I mean, Justin Herbert attempted 49 passes in week three. Oh, yeah. That's going to benefit Austin Eckler. It, it should really benefit everyone in that pass game. Is Justin Herbert going to outscore Lamar Jackson this year? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh! No. No, no, no. Oh, my God. Poor fantasy gamers that drafted lamar jackson oh it's not looking good man is he a bust can you call him a bust yet it's close i think you know drafting lamar jackson in the second and third round i think it was an error on the part of anyone approaching their drafts with that strategy when you could get a guy like kyler murray rounds later kyler murray what about what about russell wilson i love russell wilson i love his rushing upside they're taking kyler murray before russell wilson they were taking Dak prescott Many rounds after Lamar Jackson. You know, on underdog, I'm drafted on underdog all the time, and you could get a Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson after all those premium wide receivers were off the board. They were going around that Keenan Allen, Tyler Boyd zone. For sure. I was just thinking strictly if you're looking for a quarterback that has that 100-yard potential on the ground. I don't think Russell Wilson has it. I don't think Dak Prescott has it. I know Dak... Right, 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 right. I think Kyler... Probably not as much rushing upside as Lamar Jackson, but I think it's in his range of outcomes. But you said it best, even later than Kyler, you could get some incredible passers, and on a weekly basis, what is that? 
90, 95% of what Lamar Jackson does on his best weeks. The ultimate arbitrage on Lamar Jackson was Cam Newton 10 rounds later. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Patrick Mahomes is delivering on his ADP. Lamar Jackson, not so much. I watched Lamar Jackson at the Pro Bowl, and he was utterly incompetent in that competition where you have to throw at targets. He was all over the place, was not accurate at all in these drills. And I was like, this is weird, man. I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe he's just a gamer. You don't want to not draft a guy based on what you saw at the Pro Bowl. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. But watching him struggle to be in any way accurate, similar to what I saw from Mitchell Trubisky the year prior at the Pro Bowl, I was like, you know what? All else being equal, I think I'd just rather have Patrick Mahomes. I think it's just safer. So Mahomes was the safer bet if you wanted to do the wrong thing and overdraft a quarterback. Those that drafted Lamar Jackson are getting exactly what they should be getting for drafting a quarterback that high. What about those that drafted handcuffed running backs in the single-digit rounds? Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison. Are those players droppable? Yeah, what a, what a nightmare strategy. I think in those rounds you still specifically need to be targeting contributors, whether it's you know not a handcuff role, but maybe it's a change of pace role for a running back. I mean, you could get really good pass catchers in the single-digit rounds towards rounds 9, 10. A guy like Tony Pollard, he's not being used literally at all right now. And, I mean, he that Dallas offense is phenomenal. He's a handcuff. Yeah, you still needed an Ezekiel Elliott injury for him to be usable. Instead, a guy like Chase Edmonds, who, I mean, maybe you could consider a handcuff, he's at least receiving change of pace touches. He's averaging six touches and some change per game. So a guy like Tony Pollard, I mean, if Chase Edmonds on your waiver wire, and if you can get him, I'm certainly making that move. I'm probably dropping Tony Pollard for, you know, any of the emerging receivers, maybe some other running backs that are receiving some work that you could potentially use as a flex play. Darrell Henderson was going one or two rounds after after Tony Pollard, even though Darrell Henderson was the clear-cut number one running back at Memphis. He established himself as the alpha running back at Memphis over Tony Pollard just two years ago. And now he's competing for touches with a rookie in Cam Akers versus Ezekiel Elliott, and you're really going to go Pollard over Henderson? So that was a great arbitrage opportunity right there in fantasy drafts. Henderson over Pollard. Joshua Kelly, also a much better value in the double-digit rounds. J.K. Dobbins, though, is getting touches. He is less of a pure handcuff and more like a Chase Edmonds, right? Absolutely. Long-term believer in J.K. Dobbins. That situation, I think, is a little tougher to decipher because we're dealing with three backs instead of two. Now, Gus Edwards, I was not expecting him to play a role this year. And largely through the first two weeks, you know, playing the Browns in week one, I thought maybe Gus Edwards is receiving carries just because they're blowing these opponents out. But even last night, Gus Edwards outcarried Dobbins 4-1. to one. Ingram outcarried him 7-1. to one. I still think this is a three-man backfield for now. The positive with J.K. Dobbins, he looks like he's the clear pass-catching back for what that's worth. Lamar isn't targeting running backs at you know as high of a rate as maybe we would like. But I still think Dobbins has room to grow into that room as well, whereas a guy like Tony Pollard, he's just absolutely not going to push Zeke for touches this year. Mark Ingram was the first running back drafted after round four in that frozen pond zone, the dead zone of running backs, led by Mark Ingram, who is giving you absolutely nothing. 
And J.K. Dobbins has far more upside and was available later in drafts. I mentioned Joshua Kelly. Are you worried about Joshua Kelly now that Austin Eckler seems to have reestablished himself as the clear-cut number one in that backfield? No, absolutely not. No. No, I mean, I the Chargers are running so, so many plays right now. Even with Austin Eckler clearly operating, I mean, he's arguably a top five back in the league right now. But Joshua Kelly, he's received, if we just want to look at running back opportunities, so carries plus targets, 12, 26, and 10 through three weeks. Love I think it. people need to stop just thinking about, okay, he's the second running back on a team. And think about, all right, this team might be running a lot of plays. They're a really efficient offense. A guy like Joshua Kelly, who receives 10 touches, I, th- I think that's flex viable in some deep leagues. Yeah, yeah. And RB1 upside in the event that Austin Eckler suffers any kind of injury. You worried about Leonard Fournette at all? Yes. This is a really tough situation to decipher. I, I actually dug into this a little bit today. Really excited about Leonard Fournette long-term with Tampa Bay. I I wasn't expecting him to take over this backfield immediately just with the short practice time he was going to receive before week one. Week two was a great sign. Looked like he'd separated himself from Ronald Jones. I was expecting a larger share of the backfield. Week three comes around, and I actually broke this down by drives. Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, they were literally just trading off. One drive, the next drive was the other guy. There was one long drive where they, they swapped out halfway but there was no sign of even a hot hand approach here. They had LaShawn McQuay coming in to steal some passes, adding a third man into that rotation somewhat. I don't know if this is just a Bruce Arians thing or if there's a chance Fournette separates himself. I certainly think he's the better back overall. And if I'm trying to get one of those Tampa running backs, it will be Fournette. Oh, it yeah. is an attractive situation for fantasy. Fournette has a wide receiver background, so he is an excellent receiver. If he is put in an every-down role, he'll be an RB1 especially on that team, I'm not. I'm actually encouraged by the fact that they were just switching drives because he has had very little practice time. So the fact that they're able to keep him in for entire drives without subbing him out regularly because of his lack of familiarity with the playbook, to me, that's relatively encouraging. And if I'm Tampa, I'm not going to play Leonard Fournette in the fourth quarter, up 26-10 against a Denver Broncos team with... Jeff Driscoll at quarterback, and no Cortland Sutton, no Philip Lindsay. It's just logical that that wouldn't be the game that you need to go to Fournette, that you need to go to Mike Evans. Mike Evans, in a game where Chris Godwin was hurt, two receiving yards. That's the danger in playing players in blowouts, is that no one actually produces because the coaches would prefer to just take the air out of the ball and just sit on it and grind the clock out. Okay, great. Let Ronald Jones do that. It's a low-risk proposition to let Ronald Jones grind clock against Denver. In a game where the Buccaneers need to score points to win, I think we'll see more Leonard Fournette. At what point in in the season do you think Tampa Bay starts to lean more on Leonard Fournette? Like, At what point would you think the familiarity with the offense and his talent overall will start outweighing what Ronald Jones offers? This coming week. I think that Leonard Fournette is meeting with Bruce Arians in his office right now. He needs to get paid, and he did not receive enough touches to command a significant, to command a lucrative contract in the offseason in week three. And I think that Bruce Arians helps fix that in week four at home against the Chargers. I can see the Buccaneers, this Buccaneers defense is going to be a problem for Justin Herbert. I can see them getting out to a lead, maybe a pick six, and then turning the ball over to Fournette 
especially in the second half. I can see that coming. Yeah, a lot of injuries on this Chargers defense. I think people won't perceive it as an easy matchup for Fournette. I love Fournette in GPPs this week. 100%. I mean, they already lost some defensive backs last week. They didn't have Melvin Ingram. There's a lot of their linebackers. Drew Tranquil's already on injured reserve. There's a lot of reasons to like Fournette this week specifically. They're already seven and a half point favorites. I kind of like the call that this is the breakout week for Fournette if it happens. If it doesn't, I would be very concerned. Well, he already broke out in week two. This is the re-breakout week. But they didn't go back to him. They didn't hand over the reins. That was my my concern. Every other week, he's going to re-break out. How about that? I'm, I'm all here for the re-breakout. Uh, just re-breakout every week. Just re- Every other week, play Fournette. Sell high on James Robinson? I think yes. Jacksonville ran a total of 17 run plays in week three. I don't know how good we're expecting this team to be down the stretch, but I don't think... Six for 83 as a receiving line is very viable for for James Robinson on a weekly basis. I mean, it doesn't seem like Jacksonville cares about draft capital whatsoever, so I do think he'll be out there. But similar to what we saw from Leonard Fournette last year, I really question the overall efficiency from the running back position just from this entire offense. I don't know how many touchdowns you can really expect him to score, how many goal line opportunities this team will even receive. So I think selling high on James Robinson right now, seeing what you can get for him. Maybe James Robinson's a guy you could turn over for a guy like Joe Mixon in a package deal. That's a trade I would certainly make. Yes, 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 yes. That's it. That's the ticket right there, my friend. Send James Robinson, receive Joe Mixon, because Divine Ogzigbo is coming off short-term IR, as is Raquel Armstead, and all three of those players were receiving first-team reps during training camp and were being praised by the coaches. So the days of James Robinson being a workhorse in Jacksonville may be fleeting. Just on the risk that these running backs that, that also have primary back size and athleticism return and cannibalize touches from James Robinson, you have to trade him, and then the risk that the team enjoys very little positive game script the rest of the season. If they're down double digits Thursday against the Dolphins when are they going to have a lead at all during the season yeah that's the point I I don't think they're going to have a lead very often so how many touchdowns does he get how many goal line attempts does he even receive I mean the pass game work is solid for him but looking at his profile do you expect him to have six catches 80 plus yards on a weekly basis I certainly do not no DJ Chark will be back LaVisca Chenault's role is growing and Armstead and Exigbo will be back. Sell, 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 sell. I love his profile. I love him. I am so happy that a big, athletic, all-purpose back from a small school went undrafted and broke out immediately in week one. Love it. Respect the hell out of James Robinson. Sell. You buying high on Darrell Henderson? This is a tough situation. What looks like a three-man committee, Akers is injured right now. That opened the door to Henderson taking over this backfield. Now, Henderson and Malcolm Brown, they each played about half of the Ram snaps in week three. But I think it's really important to look at how they were being used on these individual snaps. So if you look to just pure run plays, who played more on those? Darrell Henderson was out there, 65%, just pure run plays. Malcolm Brown, 22 and a half. You look to their touches, Daryl Henderson, 20 attempts, Malcolm Brown, seven. Even in the receiving game where it looked like Malcolm Brown played a little bit more, you have Henderson. 
out targeting Brown 3 to 2. Now I'm still worried about Cam Akers returning a prospect I was really high on. Now, player profile player profiler's been high on Cam Akers the entire process. Love Cam Akers. Buy low on Cam Akers. Absolutely. Got to buy low on Cam Akers. Get him now. While Darrell Henderson looks like this superstar is emerging. Oh, Darrell Henderson's the man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess what? Guess what? He's just keeping that seat warm for Akers. Maybe not this year. Maybe this year Henderson seizes a 50% of the opportunities and doesn't let go. But next year it's going to be all Akers. For that reason, though, the idea that Henderson is the lightning to Cam Akers' thunder, he may be a buy high depending on what other owners in your league are looking to get back. It is a slight concern that not only did Malcolm Brown still outsnap Henderson in week three, he also ran twice as many routes. It's crazy. To triple his snaps and to run twice as many routes and to still get out-touched is bizarre. It just goes to show how bad Malcolm Brown is. I mean, he is the ultimate cardboard cutout running back in the NFL. You buying high on Jarek McKinnon? No. I think... Jarek McKinnon is going to be stuck in a timeshare, essentially regardless of what happens in San Francisco. They have an undrafted free agent I like in Jamichael Hasty. if we have Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman out a while. It looks like they could get Raheem Mostert back, maybe as soon as this week, but still, he's not even a guy they put on short-term injured reserve, so they clearly think he's only missing a couple games. Tevin Coleman, his absence projects to be a little longer, but Jarek McKinnon's a guy who missed essentially two full seasons. And it's pretty clear they don't want to just hand over a 20-touch backfield to him. They saw Jeff Wilson mixing in for touches last week. They were blowing out the Giants. I mean, come on. They were, but they've turned the reins over to Jeff Wilson in the past. If you looked at, you know, just their careers, Jeff Wilson is someone they've given 20 touches to in a game. It was criminal. What happened to to Jerick McKinnon on Sunday was criminal. Multiple 20-plus yard runs, breakaway runs, called back due to penalties, and wiped touchdowns off the board. It was just a crime. He could have had a monster day even before the upper rib injury prevented him from playing in the fourth quarter. I mean, if he had been healthy and playing with linemen that didn't hold on every give, on any, on every play that he ran the ball on, he could have had 30 fantasy points. He absolutely could have. But trying to project this forward, do you think he's carved out a – significant enough role to push Raheem Mostert when he comes back, assuming this is a short absence. Yes, I think this is going to be similar to what we're seeing in Los Angeles. Darrell Henderson has carved out an even share with the incumbent when he returns. So I think it's going to be 50-50 when Akers returns with Henderson, and I think it's going to be 50-50 when Mostert returns with McKinnon. McKinnon's just electric. If you watch that game, it was clear that he's one of the most athletic running backs in the league. And I know that the coaches see that as well. I know that Mostert is fast, and he has been productive and is a trusted member of this backfield, but they make the same money. They had the same prestige within the locker room. I don't see any reason why they should necessarily favor Mostert over McKinnon moving forward, but it is going to be a division of labor, even if it's 60-40, With McKinnon getting the passing down work, the fantasy production should be about equal. That was a question I had for you. You know, last year we didn't see Mostert handle a lot of targets in the pass game. He's not a great receiver. But in week one, he had five targets, which really surprised me. Yeah, I think that was an outlier. I think that McKinnon is absolutely their passing down running back, their high leverage 
two-minute drill, hurry-up offense, running back. A lot of fantasy points get scored in those particular game scenarios. I think Mostert has been helped by breakaway runs this year, and when he's broken away, there wasn't a holding call. When McKinnon's broken away, there has been a holding call. I think that's basically the difference between the two running backs. They're very similar guys. If I were an NFL general manager, I would prefer McKinnon because I want the guy that's stronger in the passing game. If I'm a fantasy gamer, I would give a slight edge to Mostert, but it's not its not a big edge. If you want just the pure pass catcher, listen to this 49ers defense. Nick Bosa, out. Solomon Thomas, out. Richard Sherman, short-term injured reserve, but for the time being, out. Last week, they didn't have D. Ford, Trey Greenlaw, Akilla Witherspoon was banged up. I think those injuries actually suit McKinnon's skill set, just as far as a a game script perspective goes, how the 49ers probably are playing in games. I mean, they're not going to play the Giants every week. It helps Brandon Ayuk in the short term as well, because Debo Samuel is still a couple weeks away. George Kittle's at least a week away. Brandon Ayuk operated as the clear number one, the first read in that offense, and he delivered. He was a WR2 in fantasy football, and there's nothing that we've seen that would indicate that he won't be able to just roll that over week after week until Samuel and Kittle are back. But in the meantime, just keep pushing the button, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's basically Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne on the field every single snap right now among wide receivers. I think when Debo returns, he just pushes Kendrick Bourne right off. They function with Ayuk. They function with Debo Samuel as their two receivers. Ayuk had eight targets last week. That's an immense growth from the three targets he had in week two. Yes, and they were downfield. All the targets in week two were screenplays. At least actually ran some routes, was targeted some actual routes in week three. And they didn't necessarily get rid of that short game stuff either. He handled three carries. That's something we've seen Debo Samuel do. Mm. Ayuk did it a lot in college. Over 30 yards on the ground. I love it. Are you buying Miles Gaskin? All right, so this is kind of a discussion similar to the the James Robinson one. How do we handle these running backs on these bad teams? Miles Gaskin, I think he really surprised in week three. I Did you think this was going to be Matt Breida's job right away? Listen, if I'm an NFL coach, I'm going to play Breida. I love Matt Breida, and it seemed that the decks were being cleared for Breida to be a satellite back plus in that offense, to be the poorest possible man's Alvin Kamara in Miami. But they've just overlooked him and said, you know what, we're just going to give the ball to Miles Gaskin and we're going to target Miles Gaskin in the passing game. You know, five targets, six targets. Like, okay, I guess Miles Gaskin is a bell cow back. I actually think that he's a guy you want to acquire and hold because he could be James Robinson three weeks from now. And then you would trade him before the trade deadline in your league. You're eventually going to trade him. I agree. I don't think you want to hold on to Miles Gaskin forever. A big difference between the James Robinson, Miles Gaskin situation. Gaskin's already beaten out Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. James Robinson has to deal with Augsigbo. He has to deal with Ryquel Armstead returning to the backfield. Yes. More of an uncertain situation. I just don't know how that shakes out long term. This one, I think we know that Miles Gaskin has moved ahead of Breida and Jordan Howard for the short term. Are you sneaking... Travis Homer onto your rosters. Travis Homer is a really interesting candidate, especially with the Chris Carson knee sprain, and we don't have a prognosis on that yet. It seems like they're optimistic. You know how Pete Carroll is with injuries. I mean, if Chris Carson was done for the year, Pete Carroll would still say he has a chance to play in week four. But that is still a depth chart I'm (laughs) worried about for Travis Homer. Carlos Hyde's there. They've shown they're willing to give him work. Rashad Penny's on PUP. 
He'll be eligible at some point midseason. I don't see Travis Homer eclipsing his role. DJ Dallas is a name worth mentioning too. He had some buzz in camp. There's a lot of people there competing for touches. I think Travis Homer is more talented than Carlos Hyde at this point in his career, but it's a an unsettled situation at best. Here's what I saw watching that game. I'm watching some football now. It's fun to watch some football. Chris Carson goes down, and who replaced him in the very next play? It was Travis Homer. It was not Carlos Hyde. It was Travis Homer in a high-leverage situation. As we talked about earlier, Travis Homer was the guy, not Carlos Hyde, in the hurry-up offense. Game on the line, clutch situation. They turn to Travis Homer, and Travis Homer is an electric athlete, much more explosive than Carlos Hyde, much better in the passing game. This was the worst possible week to use any of your fab budget to be active on the waiver wire. And I feel bad for the zero RB teams because this was the week. Like zero RB teams thinking, okay, this is the week I'm going to finally get a running back. And then there's nothing. There's nothing. But you could sneak Travis Homer onto your roster for very little. He didn't show up in the box score at all. And that was actually a good thing if you're trying to get him. He's not going to be expensive whatsoever. You can get Travis Homer for free. I'm, I'm concerned just with, you mentioned the high leverage situations. I mean, we've seen Cincinnati do that with, with Giovanni Bernard too. I haven't seen Travis Homer really mixing into early down work. Do you, do you think they prefer Carlos Hyde in those situations? Yes, of course they do. He's not going to be a guy you're going to play in week one. You're going to just see what happens. We're going to see what happens. But he could be out there a lot more than anyone believes. He could easily catch five passes roll up 70, 80 all-purpose yards, maybe get a touchdown, and then everyone's trying to get him the following week, but you already have him stashed. That's the move. That does make some sense to me, especially with Seattle's defense. It's probable that they're still in some negative game scripts. Yeah, it is a similar case for Travis Homer that we had for Jarek McKinnon last week. It's just that everybody knew McKinnon was, was the screaming ad of the week. Travis Homer, he's very much under the radar. No one's thinking about him. They're all it's just stampeding. To Carlos Hyde, gonna get Carlos Hyde next up on the depth chart. Just like Mike Davis the week prior, it's the same thing. Just Mike Davis all over again. I actually like Reggie Bonafon. I think Reggie Bonafon's gonna get his chance in Carolina. Do you think it comes in the pass game? Because they've, they've certainly shown a liking to throwing to Mike Davis so far at this point. It's crazy. It's crazy. Bonafon's just better. Bonafon was super efficient last year when called upon, just a handful of touches. The problem is, can he flash enough to actually be a primary back for any games before Christian McCaffrey returns? I don't think so, but I just want to make sure that I'm on record saying he's better than Mike Davis and he should be playing. I just want to be on record saying that. I'm not saying you need to drop anyone of consequence to get him, but in deep leagues, I'm stashing him. In dynasty, I'm picking him up. I like Reggie Bonifant. I think he has an all-purpose skill set. I feel similarly to Reggie Bonifant that I do to Travis Homer. I love Reggie Bonifant. He was a preseason. You love him? He's a preseason hero, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy has only been good when given the football on a football field. That's why I was really curious when he lost the job in camp. They gambled that they could stash him in the practice squad, and the gamble paid off. Good for them. But if they give him touches and... He delivers splash plays. They won't be able to stash him back on the practice squad. They won't be able to do it. Big game for Alan Lazard. Career game. Time to sell. Devontae Adams looks like he's coming back. Now, I think Lazard has clearly worked himself ahead of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I guess. Yeah, I love MVS. I wish he 
he had actually you know amounted to something. I'm not sure his days are are going to come in Green Bay, but it certainly seems like Alan Lazard is the wide receiver too. My main concern with Lazard right now, when Adams is back, we saw Adams just handle an absolutely absurd target load. It's like he's the only guy Aaron Rodgers has eyes for in this in this offense. I like Lazard from a prospect standpoint. He's got solid size, speed, burst, good breakout age college dominator, especially for a guy with essentially no draft capital. Yeah. He's he's actually a player profiler poster child. Yeah, I from that standpoint, I think he's fantastic, which is based on what Green Bay looks like they want to do. How many targets do you think Alan Lazard sees per game with a healthy Devontae Adams? Five. It's just not impressive. It's not exciting. It's not exciting. And with Adams due back, you're not going to get anything for him anyway. So he's a fake sell high, just like Cam Akers, a fake buy low in Dynasty. I'm talking to Nate Liss about it on the Sonic Truth podcast. Alan Lazard's a fake sell high. No one is taking this monster week three from Alan Lazard seriously. But I do think that A.J. Green's a buy low. I think A.J. Green coming off a game where he was shadowed by Darius Slay, perfect time to buy low because he said it publicly, his legs and his overall health, he's feeling as good as he's felt in years. Right now. Right now, Matt. I don't know if I'm there with you on this one. I'm really curious to hear your defense for A.J. Green. You know, It's A.J. Green! Outside of volume and air yards and targets. Volume, air yards, Joe Burrow's ascendance, everything is all coming together. He's capturing a major share of the air yards in this offense. He's getting unlucky, matched up against true alpha corners that are opting to shadow him everywhere he goes, harassing him on every play, knocking the ball away on what would be big plays. Eventually... The schedule will soften just like it will for Joe Mixon. He will have games. This is the week. This is the week. The Bengals are facing Jacksonville. I've been doing this for years, Matt, pinpointing the right week to buy low on guys. And no surprise, it's the week they're set to face the Jaguars. I have some good stats for you on A.J. Green then. He's actually, I'm not sure if he's washed or not at this point, but he's not. When you look at his targets downfield entering week three, he had eight of them. Yes. All eight of them were uncatchable. Correct. Completely uncatchable. That's not on A.J. Green. I've, I've heard a lot of people saying he's he's completely washed. He's not getting open. He and Deshaun Jackson are the two most unlucky wide receivers this year. It's true. I would still be buying Deshaun Jackson, but now he's hurt. A.J. Green is healthy. A.J. Green is healthy. Get him. He's healthier than Julio Jones, and they're a similar age, and they have similar career production. When healthy. And one has more volume. And Green's getting the volume, and Joe Burrow is for real. Joe Burrow looks good. What about Golden Tate? Is that a sneaky buy low? He doesn't cost anything. Yeah, right? They're down Sterling Shepard. They're down Saquon Barkley, who... Well, Sterling Shepard's on the IR. He's going to be out for at least another game. No Saquon Barkley. Evan Ingram's disappointing. Eh, Stranger things, man. It's really, it's, it's, I think what everyone wants Chris Herndon and Braxton Berrios to be, but it's a slightly better offense. Who you got? Cooper Cup or Robert Woods? I like Robert Woods, but I don't feel great about this one. Mm. It's just basically going off of a longer history of someone who's seen more volume. This year, in two out of three games, Cup has received more targets, but Robert Woods is a guy they use a lot on these sort of gadget type plays. They'll use them in the run game. So I, I'm still tentatively leaning woods in this 
Although I think both of them are very good receivers right now. DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett? I don't think this one's quite as hard. I, I like Tyler Lockett more. Both had eight targets in week one, but after that, Lockett has out-targeted Metcalf each of the last two weeks. Met, Metcalf's skill set, the way he's used, you know, we, if we talk some football guy talk here, Metcalf's used downfield. That's going to lead to more variance in his game. He'll have these immense, he should have had one last week, but he got the ball punched out at the two-yard line. He would have had two touchdowns and a ton of yards. But that's the style of receiver Metcalf is. Lockett, more reliable, more targets overall. And I don't think the big plays are going to go away for him either. We talk about market timing, A.J. Green and Joe Mixon with bylows. Same principle apply to David Johnson and Will Fuller set to play the Vikings this week? If they play. Uh-oh. Now, uh-oh. Will Fuller and David Johnson, these guys are seeing immense, immense, immense opportunity shared. There's literally no one else touching the ball in the backfield in Houston right now. It is just David Johnson, and he's had some of the worst matchups in all of fantasy football right now. I, you just Big can't team. really draw him up worse. Yeah. He and Joe Mixon are my favorite by lows at running back. They're big, athletic running backs that are excellent in the passing game that are getting all the carries. And they're about to go face defenses that have been getting shredded on a weekly basis. The clock is ticking to go get these guys. Will Fuller, too. Are you worried at all about uh, Deontay Johnson? Chase Claypool. Mm. Really big athletic wide receiver. Comes in. Mm-hmm. And plays 61 of 80 snaps, and we, we know Juju's not coming off the field. So I, I think there is a little bit of a debate between these three wide receivers in the periphery for, for Pittsburgh right now between, of course, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and Chase Claypool. I tend to think that Deontay Johnson's going to stay on the field at the expense probably of James Washington. If Claypool does ascend, I think that will drive Washington off the field more than it would Deontay Johnson. But it's not like we're leaning on this long history of elite production for Deontay Johnson. He's only in his second year. He came on strong in the latter half of 2019. So crazier things have happened. Do you think the ascendance is real with Claypool, I think, is the better question to ask here. Claypool ran more routes, but he was only targeted four times and only converted one of the four targets. So I think he's a fun gadget wide receiver that he's 235 pounds. You can play him on the outside. And you can run these basketball plays for him. Great. That's kind of fun to draw those up. But he's never going to break out. Like, his breakout finder rating is one of the lowest in this class. I don't believe it's going to happen for Chase Claypool. I think they're having a lot of fun drawing up plays for him. And I'm not surprised that he's been inefficient thus far. I do not, do not, do not, do not, do not think Chase Claypool is for real. Meanwhile... James Washington had seven targets on fewer routes, and it was more efficient. So I actually think James Washington is a better receiver than Chase Claypool, and neither of them are even close to as good as Deontay Johnson. I don't know what the hell happened, but I argued with Nate Liss that you need to slow down even considering moving Deontay Johnson ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster in Dynasty because we need to see Deontay Johnson do it for a full season before we even cross that bridge. And now, after this week three bagel, it's a real long shot that Deontay Johnson can ever pull even with a Juju Smith-Schuster in Dynasty. I don't see it. Are you concerned with Juju's target share thus far? Yes. Yes, I'm not loving the target share. They are spreading the ball out a lot. I mean, if I were soaked in 
fantasy football cliche, I would say that, oh, there's too many mouths to feed. And there's not too many mouths to feed. It's Eric fucking Ebron. He's not a mouth anyone should care about. Chase Claypool's not a mouth anyone should care about. James Washington's not going to be a superstar in this league. Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson need to step up and be superstars and do it on more than just touchdowns. That's been the only way Juju scored fantasy points this year is with touchdowns. At least Deontay Johnson had that massive week two target share and PPR production without the touchdowns. So in some ways, he really has the only truly big game in this wide receiver core all year, spreading it around a lot. Both tight ends are involved. I mean, god damn. I don't love it, man. I don't love it. And you can't be surprised when Juju continues to slowly slide down the dynasty rankings. It's going to be incremental, but it, it, it's happening. It's happening. Five targets isn't enough against Houston in a competitive game. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. Andy Isabella, is he going to be freed? Matt, what does this guy have to do? I don't know. To see more targets, more routes, more snaps? He has to catch every target thrown to him and score a touchdown on half of them. This That's basically what he's done. He has That is what he did. 20 career targets, 15 catches, 303 yards, and three scores. He only played 26 snaps in week three. What in the world is going on? It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. Keyshawn Johnson getting seven targets and running a hell of a lot more snaps than Andy Isabella is a joke. It's egregious. And I'm going to file a formal complaint with the Arizona Cardinals organization that Cliff Kingsbury should be censured. I don't know what that means in football terms, but I think he should be censured in some way. You have to force him to apologize to fantasy gamers, especially dynasty leaguers like me. I mean, he is a bell in so many leagues. Keep running Larry Fitzgerald out there, running those wheelchair routes. James White loves the wheel route. Well, that's fine. For every wheel route James White runs, Larry Fitzgerald runs 10 wheelchair routes. Which rookie wide receiver do you believe? And by the way, wheelchair jokes are fine. He's old. Which rookie wide receiver do you think will have the most productive year? It's a tough question. Man, I wanted to say Jalen Rieger so, so, so bad. And that thumb injury. Still time. Still time. There... There is still time, but I think as long as C.D. Lamb is healthy, he's, he's the answer here, just playing with that high-powered Dallas offense. Last week wasn't what we were expecting, but... What happened? So I saw this. I don't think this is anything we'll know at this point, but they're they're trotting C.D. Lamb out on punt returns still. I, I'm not sure why teams continue to do this, but C.D. Lamb's out on a punt return, and he gets hurt. And it's not something you know where they had to come out with the medical team or anything, but he limps off to the sideline. And he plays about half the snaps going forward. And he's actually not out there really on the final drive of the game. Allowing Cedric Wilson to come in and take those C.D. Lamb points from me. Was this injury reported at all? No, it was it was him like hobbling off the field. But it was not reported because I'm going to Roto World. Roto World is not what it used to be. I'm not seeing anything about C.D. Lamb being injured. So uh, we don't obviously don't know the significance. We'll get injury reports on Wednesday. Watch and see if he pops up on that. This could just be random speculation. 
You see him limp off the field, and then you see him play limited snaps, which is something he hadn't done in the previous two games and even earlier in the game. This happened with Jamison Crowder, where he started limping at the end of that long touchdown. If you were paying attention, you saw that, and then, boom, pops up on the injury report on Wednesday. We could see that with CD here. I'm not sure. Something to monitor. Right now, it's me rationalizing away CD Lamb's limited production for the sake of Cedric Wilson getting on the field. There's no other explanation. There's no other explanation. Darnell Mooney. Darnell Mooney is a rookie wide receiver, and he's actually commanding more snaps and running more routes than Anthony Miller. Does that make sense? Uh, to me, no. I, I mean, I, did you like Darnell Mooney coming out as a prospect? I thought he had some some intrigue, but as a late-round guy, I did not expect him to usurp. I love fast receivers like Darnell Mooney. Love that. I mean, anytime a guy runs a four sub-4-4, four, four, I, I, I'm interested. And that's Darnell Mooney. So I, I like a Darnell Mooney. I like a Quez Watkins. I like a John Hightower. And Hightower getting a massive, massive route participation rate. So I'm excited for John Hightower potentially breaking out in week four. If he's going to be on the field and he's going to be getting separation deep, there's a chance that he breaks out, you know, just with one long touchdown. Same could happen with Darnell Mooney. If he keeps getting snaps, keeps running these routes, has the speed, it's just a matter of time. T. Higgins broke out last week. He had nine targets. He had more snaps, ran more routes, more targets than both Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green. Are you excited, or do you think that he's going to be the classic number three wide receiver that fantasy gamers overpay for on waivers this week? I am excited for T. Higgins, and I don't think it even has to be him being so talented Cincinnati's running so, so, so many plays right now, and a large percentage of those are passes. Up-tempo. No one's really even eclipsing an 80% snap share on this offense because, I I mean, how, if you're running 75, 80 plays per game, it's just not feasible to have your players out there running these kind of routes every single play. T. Higgins is a guy I think that, you know, maybe was a little underrated coming out of college. The athleticism was underwhelming, but if you look at dominator rating, there's some things on the profile that this isn't going to pick up. So, like, I, I scrape a lot of college football data. He only had 11 targets in the second half of games in his final what? season at Clemson. Just what? 11 targets. What? 11 targets what? in the second half of games. That's not possible. In his final season. It is true. What a stat, man. That's a great stat. That's almost as good as Evan Silva's David Njoku averaged 11.2 yards after the catch per reception in college. Almost as good as that stat. T. Higgins, number five on the breakout finder. Breakout finder loves T. Higgins because... It gives more weight to age-adjusted production than size-adjusted athleticism. So it makes sense. It's just that as long as A.J. Green is healthy and Tyler Boyd is producing out of the slot, his role is going to be highly nebulous and very based on game plan and game situation week to week. So he will be incredibly volatile. And, and we knew this coming into the season. That he was a fun late-round best ball guy, but not a guy that you can trust and know when to start any given week even though Joe Burrow is, is, is very, very good. How good is Joe Burrow? Oh, man. Through three games, he looks everything that, that he's been chalked up to be. I mean, he's gone through a little bit of rookie ups and downs to be expected, but his good plays are just absolutely mind-blowing. And I think a lot of the rookie struggles we see from quarterbacks, for Burrow specifically, is mitigated by him attempting you know 50 passes per game. He can make some mistakes, 
And we know from our, our Jameis Winston analysis, if someone throws an interception, it's not necessarily the worst thing for your quarterback to you know have a couple turnovers here and there. For Joe Burrow, attempting so many passes, even if he's right now he's sub 6.0 yards per attempt, even if that continues, his volume is just outweighing everything right now. And he's not turning the ball over either. Eight sacks, no fumbles, no interceptions against the Eagles. You go on the road against the Eagles and don't turn the ball over at all. That's impressive in and of itself for rookie quarterback. Just that. Forget that that he willed them to not lose. <laughs> right? Okay, now, for fantasy football, we talked about this earlier. At quarterback, who was the better pick in fantasy drafts in retrospect? Was it Dak? Was it Russ? Or was it Cam? It was Cam. Cam was free. Very late. Very, very late. I think if you're just playing the opportunity cost game, like, I, I don't think it's even a close decision between Dak, Russ, and Cam. It's Cam all the way. Well, Dak and Russ have been have gone nuclear every single week, but I think when we're able to look back at the full season, Cam will have been the better value easily. Do you still believe in Baker Mayfield? Yes, I believe in Baker Mayfield for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, let's get some continuity around this guy for, you know, a single season. You know, Freddie Kitchens last year completely just demolished this offense and he, Baker Mayfield has played with some of the worst coaches in the NFL I'm not sure Stefanski is the answer here either running his run heavy approach with those excuses in place I, I time is running out for Baker Mayfield but I'm still hopeful at this point Washington has a very stout front seven big time playmakers he doesn't throw for a lot of yards but like with Joe Burrow I respect that he faces sack artists and doesn't turn the ball over like takes some sacks, but takes care of the football, doesn't fumble, throws some key touchdowns, and leans on the running game against a bad Washington team. This was a step forward for Baker Mayfield. Two straight games where he's exceeded expectations. I'm excited to see him keep the good times rolling, and they get Dallas next week. Only 23 pass attempts in each of the last two games. That's less than half of what Joe Burrow had, and he still put up... 219 yards, 156 yards on 16 completions. Again, on just 23 pass attempts in each of those games. We know when Cleveland has the lead, they're not going to be utilizing Baker Mayfield's skill set. But you said it, going against Dallas this week, I think it's pretty reasonable he sees an increase in these pass attempts. Yeah, they're leaning on a lead at home against the Bengals. They're leaning on a lead at home against Washington. This is the week that Baker Mayfield has to turn up the volume and go win a game. And I'm excited to see him do it. He's going to have to throw a lot regardless. And he has playmakers in this passing game. I love Baker Mayfield this week, especially in DFS. I'm excited to finally play Mayfield and Odell Beckham in a GPP. Carson Wentz, do you believe? I do believe in Carson Wentz. Similar to Baker Mayfield, what does this guy have to do? Through three weeks, he's already lost three starting offensive linemen to injured reserve. His left tackle was not supposed to play left tackle at the start of the year. They move him over due to injuries, not to mention he's 38 years old. Right now, his number one wide receiver outside of Zach Ertz, his number one actual wide receiver is Greg Ward, former AAF superstar who wasn't even the number one wide receiver on his AAF team. (laughs) I'm going to replay that. I'm going to replay that. That's amazing. Greg Ward, former AAF superstar who wasn't even the number one wide receiver on his AAF team. You, d- doesn't this seem suboptimal? Yeah, it's not good. 
it's not good. And now they're signing Hakeem Bustler to move him to tight end. I mean, this is just, it's hilarious. You can't even make this stuff up. They should also move J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to tight end, who was drafted ahead of D.K. Metcalf. Fire Howie Roseman. Fire everybody. I'm in a 16-team dynasty league with Nate Liss, and I have Carson Wentz in that league. It's super flex. I, I have, actually have Mayfield and Wentz in that league, and I, I really need Wentz to be good or at least at least bounce back this season to retain some value so I can trade him. Just hold on, Carson. Just hold on. You'll get some receivers back healthy. You'll get some linemen back healthy. Just, 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 just try to hold on, buddy. Just, just try to hold on. TJ Hawkinson held on. TJ Hawkinson's route participation was hovering around 65% and then last week popped to 90. So finally the usage is being cranked up on TJ Hawkinson. I'm loving that. Late round tight ends that are hitting the hardest. TJ Hawkinson, Janu Smith. Who was a better bet in the later rounds at tight end? Was it Hawkinson or was it Smith? Man, you're already on it. I was concerned with both heading into week three, but then we saw the routes ratcheted up for Hawkinson. Kind of confusing because Kenny Galladay comes back. I really thought they were going to lean on him in Galladay's absence. For whatever reason, I don't make these decisions. TJ Hawkinson has his routes and snaps jump up in week three. I think that's great long term. We've seen an uptick for Jonu as well, but Jonu's playing without A.J. Brown right now. Jonu Smith was also running about 60% of the routes, give or take, based on the week there. When A.J. Brown returns, I don't see Jonu Smith commanding a larger target share than A.J. Brown by any means, and it's already a low-volume passing attack where we have Ryan Tannehill dropping back mid-20s if they're in the right game script. So it's it's T.J. Hawkinson all the way for me. Last two weeks, Mark Andrews, four total catches. He's a bust. George Kittle. Hurt, Zach Ertz, bust, Evan Ingram, bust. The only mid-tier tight end that was worth drafting, Darren Waller. And that was exactly the recommendation that we gave. If you must move up a couple rounds from the standard late-round tight end zone, go with Waller. Otherwise, just wait, man, just wait. It's a strategic advantage to wait at tight end and get the Hawkinsons and get the Jonu Smiths. Every single year, fantasy gamers regret moving up to take these tight ends. And they never learn, especially in tight end premium, they just they refuse to learn their lesson. Just freeze this moment in time. Put it in a time capsule and open it before your next draft. Stop drafting these early tight ends, man. TJ Hawkinson and John o. Smith are just as talented and they're available 10, 12 rounds later. It makes no fucking sense to draft a Mark Andrews in round three. Stop doing that. Noah Fant, too. Noah Fant, 10 targets. He's rocketing up Dynasty rankings for good reason. Love Noah Fant. Love it. I mean, concerns right now, of course, Driscoll, and I, I guess they're starting Brett uh, Rippin going forward. What? Yeah, that was an Ian Rappaport report today that Brett Rippin's going to get the start over Jeff Driscoll. Who is that? Who is Brett Rippin? Oh, Brett Rippin is superstar out of Boise State, my friend. Brett Rippin? Wow, Brett Rippon gets the nod over Blake Bortles and Jeff Driscoll. Apparently, this is a Rappaport report that came out today. You know, I don't think that's good for Noah Fant short term. You know that the Cowboy Scouts wanted to draft Jeff Driscoll over Dak Prescott and Jerry Jones overruled them after he spoke to Michael Irvin on the phone. And Michael Irvin was pitching Dak Prescott hard. So Jones goes into the war room. And insist the team draft Dak Prescott. I can't believe it. I mean, Jerry Jones, I mean, he did it, man. Leadership. 
This leadership, this front office leadership, Jerry Jones. How about that? You know Jeff Driscoll makes more money than Cam Newton? Oh, everybody does. I make more money than Cam Newton this year. (laughs) (laughs) Any hope for Gronk? Finally got the targets in week three. I mean, maybe. He played almost every snap for the first time. Full snap share, no Chris Godwin. Ah, could be wheels up for Gronk. It made sense. It would make sense that it would take him a few weeks to get acclimated to a sport he hasn't played in over a year. It makes sense. It just makes sense. There's one problem. He's blocking over 50% of the time. Why? Weekly. Weekly. Why? This is something Bruce Arians has. Bruce Arians has a history of doing this. He did it with O.J. Howard last year. He's doing it again with O.J. Howard and Gronkowski this year. Max protection? Who the fuck Max protects anymore, Bruce? Take your head out of your ass. Get Gronkowski running routes. Get him out there in space. He could do more damage there than he can staying in the block. All right, Matt, I'll get you out of here. Bold prediction for this season. My bold prediction is that Brandon Ayuk for the San Francisco 49ers is the wide receiver everyone wanted Curtis Samuel to be. He is the wide receiver one in San Francisco going forward. They're going to use him similar to how they used Debo Samuel last year. Get him involved on the ground. He will be their leader in targets the rest of the way and be a wide receiver one for fantasy football. Ayukin! He will be their leader in targets the rest of the way and be a wide receiver one for fantasy football. I think wide receiver one for fantasy football is bold, especially after you said that CeeDee Lamb would be the highest scoring rookie wide receiver. I don't see why they both can't do it. You think they'll both be wide receiver ones? Both top 12 wide receivers? We need CeeDee to be healthy. CeeDee Lamb's going to be the wide receiver 11 and then Ayuk could be the wide receiver 12. That's the only way that your takes make any sense. I, you asked for a bold take. I gave you my... I'm just kidding, dude. I'm joking. I'm fucking kidding. It's a bold prediction. <laughs> I was just going to say, you you asked for a bold take. That's what you got. I've been writing down all your positions all the show, Matt. And, uh, well, I, I noticed a conflict between your city lamb position and where you think uh, Brandon Ayuk is going to finish. Explain yourself. <laughs> Turns out you are the ultimate fact checker. Oh my God. Someone has to do it. Respect the hell out of James Robinson. Sell. And there's not too many mouths to feed. It's Eric fucking Ebron. He's not a mouth anyone should care about.